Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, as we've told our listeners here, I'm now a new father and um, Joey is about two months old. Technical ballpark, <laughs> as I'm getting very good at those right now. And one of the things that I've noticed um, by virtue of not having a baby that I've been in charge of around is that there are parts of my body that I thought were like, you know, in good shape, it could handle stuff. But now having this new responsibility of, you know, essentially moving and holding and carrying a ever growing baby, which is also a weight, depending upon how you want to look at it. Um, it it's putting strains upon different muscles that aren't normally used. And um, just the way I stand, I stand different holding him than I would otherwise, you know, because I actually want to look at him. Opposed to if it was just a weight, you just would hold it and walk around or whatever. You wouldn't care about it and, and, and but caring about him and, and looking at him and, and you know, all this important stuff. So the reason I bring this up is, there have been many parallels that we have found throughout the years of recording this that we can learn about our spiritual souls and bodies by looking at the way that our physical bodies adjust, as well as looking in past how our emotional adjust. So we have heard the expression, get out of your comfort zone, many times growing up, especially when I was in business school. It's like, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to go to these marketing events. You got to get out of your comfort zone and do this, that, or the other. And in the world of business, I feel like I've done that. You know, that I've built a successful business that I can do a lot of things. But I look here in the world of essentially stretching and strength, and I thought I was doing decent. I'd fallen into a routine and what have you. But when it came time to moving Joey around, it was like, it was good. Like, I could certainly do it. It's, I don't want to make it seem like my arm's falling off or anything like that. But I, I'm feeling new tweaks and pains that essentially I'd never felt before. And, you know, all it took was having a baby. So, you know, not a big deal or anything. But the, my point is, is that I'm assuming the exact same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. But in our spiritual lives, do we have things that really can pull us out of our comfort zone and regularly have us readjust? Not just a one, oh, that was a, a big event. We'll be active and pay attention to it for a little bit and then it'll fade away. But something that will be upon us continually and have us adjust. And also that adjustment, my belief is, will make me better because I will now have access to these new range of muscles and theoretically I will learn how to stretch them better and all of that stuff. But as we pertain it to our spiritual dimensions of our lives, is this an apt correlation, and is it something that we can do to help us grow as we're approaching Christmas this year? Yeah, beautiful reflection, Joe. Thanks uh, for putting that together. Makes me feel like uh, all the talking that we've done over these last couple of years has uh, planted a few ideas in your head that you're applying on a, a broader <laughs> basis. It's wonderful. Not surprising. Uh, don't mean to make it sound that way at all, but just uh, just grateful and, and wanted to acknowledge that. Um, yeah, we have uh, pretty much anything you can look at in terms of human relationships, you can find the analogy for the spiritual. And then as you pointed out, the, the bodily, the body is the expression of the soul. And so we can make those correlations between our bodies and our, and our souls. And 
you know, sometimes it requires a little bit of reflection or a little bit of nuance to, to fit the pieces together in the right way. But um, the first thing that I thought of before you talked about the comfort zone, I'll come back to that in a moment. But the first thing I thought of when you talked about carrying a baby is the analogy is, first of all, we're the baby. And God is the one who is really carrying us. And Moses uses that imagery with Israel that he is uh, like a, even like a mother carrying a child. And he feels that kind of warm tenderness for his people, for Israel. And uh, that's really, he's, he's representing God in that, in that context. But first of all, it's really God who carries us. And so that would be the, the reflection for starters, of thinking of yourself in that level of helplessness and uh, the way that you care for, cradle, love your son, even what you said, you you adjust yourself so that you can see him, so that you don't just carry him like a sack of potatoes, but you carry him with tenderness as as your son and the way that you want to interact with him and make him feel safe and uh, and that you take additional sacrifices in order to make that possible. You know, these are all the analogies. It's really what God does with us. And when we look at the the incarnation, at what Christ has done and the sacrifices that he has made to make God more accessible to us and to carry us along by his love, uh, these are the, the kinds of connections that we can make. So first of all, just seeing ourselves and also feeling, it kind of gives us permission to feel those places that you know, you're obviously a you're a you're a big guy. You're a father. You're a business owner. Uh, you're you're a married man. You got things together. You take care of your life. You got a lot of, a lot of responsibility. But there are also places in your life that you feel like an infant. Like you feel like you're incapable. That you run into the limits of yourself. That you feel kind of helpless. And sometimes we feel that in a large sense, we feel helpless before some of the powers of the world that swirl around us. Uh, we feel helpless around powers that are greater than us, even at you know the level of the government or the police or economic forces or uh, other, other businesses maybe who have more of a controlling interest in the field that you're in. There are a lot of different things like that. And then sometimes we feel powerless when somebody is suffering and, and we don't know what we can do for them, or we feel powerless when it's like everything I say, it feels like I'm putting my foot in my mouth and just making it worse. And uh, we feel powerless. We, we just don't know what to do before uh, disease, uh, before tragedy, before uh, you know, injury, different things like that. We can feel powerless. And, and, and then knowing that we are like an infant in God's arms and you feel how powerless your baby is in your arms it kind of gives us permission to just feel that. We don't have to pretend like we've got it all together. That baby surely isn't pretending that he's got it all together. He's just like totally abandoned and is going to let you carry him. And there are times that he asserts himself and he has things he wants to do and he can do, and he's going to push away or he's going to scream or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that was a big revelation for me. We talk about babies crying. Babies do cry, but babies also scream. There's mm-hmm. like, unfettered rage going on in that tiny little body, (laughs) which is really remarkable. If you translated that into adult terms, it (laughs) it was pretty remarkable. But, you know, there are ways that he pushes and asserts himself, but there are a lot of ways that he's just abandoned and he really surrenders himself. And 
and he lets himself be powerless before all of that. And, and so thinking of ourselves as an infant in God's arms in some of these places, like we can't, we can't do it. And no more can your son buy lunch for himself than can we control the, the weather or the economic forces in the world. Or, you know, we can kind of cry, we can scream a little bit, and we can hope that something changes, but we don't really have much direct control over a lot of things in our lives, actually. And so we, it's really good to just feel that sometimes and just make that active abandonment and say, Lord, I can't do it, but you can, and I trust you. So, so that's a, a first point that comes to me. And then uh, it's helpful to, to flip that around. And, you know, when we think about Christmas time, Jesus came to us like your son, as an infant. And there's a way in which God lets us carry him. And that's really mind-blowing when we think that he entrusts himself to us as much as your son entrusts himself to you and becomes really helpless. And when you're carrying your son, you can think about carrying the baby Jesus. You can think about holding him and adjusting your life around him and making sacrifices for him. And that God really makes himself that vulnerable to us. In fact, God is that vulnerable. And so that's something really to think about when when we are taking care of somebody who's really vulnerable, really feeling that. And then just a, a last point to pick up on what you had said about our comfort zone, just as you make sacrifices in love for this new life who has been entrusted to you, and it has taken you out of your comfort zone, physically speaking, you mentioned some things. I'm sure you can mention uh, sociologically in terms of your schedule and in terms of uh, emotionally and psychologically and a whole lot of other things. Your whole life gets arranged around this little helpless infant who uh, has an incredible power to change things by being so helpless. In fact, uh, there are a lot of ways that you're brought out of your comfort zone. The you know, the little tweaking of your back and the strengthening of some different muscles is probably one of the, the most uh, minimal ways, but very real, you know, and something that you're uh, acknowledging. But spiritually speaking, we, we let ourselves be drawn out of our comfort zone primarily by what we call the passive purifications, by the things that God brings into our lives that are unexpected. And instead of uh, raging against them or trying to control them, we we're better off doing judo moves. We, we sort of pivot with them and we adjust our weight to acknowledge them, but they come crashing in and we can fight them and be in denial about them and avoid them, or we can embrace it and say, yes, Lord, yes, I trust. And those are the kinds of stories we hear in these last couple of weeks of Advent are the stories of how God came crashing into the life of Our Lady and God came crashing into the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and God came crashing into the life of Joseph, and, and, and God came crashing into the life of the shepherds and the magi, and, and you know a lot of people were uh, adjusting their lives around this very unexpected revelation of God. And we have those things in our own lives, and it, it could be a pandemic, uh, it could be a, a business failure, it could be a stock market crash, it could be a a disease or an illness uh, uh, or an injury. It could be a, it could be a person that we fall in love with. Uh, you know, 
Uh, it could be a, a new opportunity that opens up. There, there are a lot of ways that God disrupts our lives. And the primary thing is being open enough to recognize it when it happens and then just being able to say yes to it. And if we have things so tightly managed and uh, airtight, suffocating, then we're going to miss the surprises of God. But God, a little like you, will do countless times with your son, you know, whether it's throwing him up in the air and and he's just thrilled and, and terrified at the same time. This is how <laughs> our lives often are. God just sort of throws us up in the air and, and we can give into the terror or we can just sort of let go and say, well, he threw me up. He, he better catch me. And we can just giggle with delight at that God is doing something totally crazy in our lives. But it's, again, really more a matter of letting it happen and then just not having such a stranglehold on life that we can experience a little bit of being tossed up in the air by God. Yeah, you just hit on about four of my pre-show notes I wanted to make sure we cover here. Um, So to try to strain these out a little bit, um, as you were saying that the the helplessness we all have, and we're actually sitting in, in, I forget which mass it was now, but one of the recent ones where, the thought has come across that like we can truly come to understand God. And I look at, at, at little Joey there and, and, and he kind of gets that I put him through the same routine when we're about to feed him or change him. Cause I figured that would give him some form of stability. And you're totally not wrong about the screaming that there's a very big difference <laughs> about that. And he brings that to the table. But at the end of the day, once we decide we're going to do something, it's feed time, sleep time, whatever, that's going to happen regardless of what he wants to do. Like he, There have been times where it's been, Teresa and I both know you need to sleep. You're the only one who doesn't know this. So eventually you're going to figure out and fall asleep. And I, the, the, the analogy that came to me there was, how can we even try to to comprehend what, what God wants for us or, or, or what we're trying to do without looking at God coming down himself and explicitly telling us what to do. Um, you know, think about it as far as a total lifeline. You, know, you go from living in a world of darkness to actually seeing the answer. And that is um that 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 was one of the thoughts that, that came across there. And the, the other thought that has had, and maybe this is timing, but I, I think it's possibly something that a lot of people go through, is now that I have a newborn baby, looking at the, the elements of the Christmas story, whenever Christ is obviously born, completely differently. Um, you know, some details that I just kind of thought of and overlooked now are, you know, really crashing home. You know, the first one being that, you know, Joseph was in his thirties and Mary was a teenager. So thinking of just looking at teenagers now and how that's a, a gap of trying to relate to them and how, uh, when they say, you know, nothing when you're a teenager, kind of see why people are saying that now. Um, you know, they, uh, <laughs> there's just some basic stuff that that's missed. So getting into that type of relationship aside, the, the emphasis that I always had growing up about Easter or Christmas rather was that this is God coming down to earth. 
And obviously that's the important part of the story. I'm not trying to diminish that, but we have discussed before that God is both, or Jesus is both God and fully man. And for some reason I was totally able to figure that part out and relate it to his teachings as an adult, but as an infant and to have that true helplessness that, you know, he's essentially going to be taken care of by two people that may or not be on the same greatest terms. I mean, two weeks ago he was thinking about divorcing her. So we can't have exactly the greatest process here. We know we just had two visions, which are, completely out of the norm of how they were brought up or how they probably thought their lives were going to be. Um, and now they have a baby that they are told is going to be the most important baby in the world. And they probably barely know how to handle themselves. Um, so all of these elements together and the helplessness as, as, as you described never really came across to me because it was always, well, this is God. Well, God will make things work because that's what God does. He can take care of anything, but the fully human element of being a baby that can't control anything and seeing, especially the initial chaos of a birth. Now seeing that, um, can't imagine what that would have been like essentially in a zoo with no technology whatsoever. Um, I, I can barely comprehend how our grandparents did this with, you know, hundred years ago technology, let alone zero. Um, so I get that there's a lot of moving parts there I'm, I'm trying to articulate, but as far as having Joey and seeing the helplessness and ultimately therefore the humility that, that God chose to do was something that, like I said, I, I understood the story, God becoming man, but the nuances of it and the reality of it is completely different this year than any year in the past because, well, now I have gone through this and, you know, something that I probably never would have thought of in those lights before, despite the in fact that he's not the first baby in my life. Like many of my cousins, my brother has them. You know, I, I've seen babies before. It's not like it's the first baby I've ever seen or anything like that. I'm a normal guy in that capacity. I just haven't, you know, had one. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I, I appreciate uh, everything you said, Joe. I'm, I'm going to, uh, and I, one of the reasons I appreciate it is because I think it uh, harmonizes with uh, what, you know, how people would think of these things um, a, a, a degree beyond. You're actually thinking about these things. I think a lot of people don't even think about these things, <laughs> but in, uh, insofar as some of the going rate is in some of these areas. But I want to I push a, a little bit on, on a couple of things. Well, one is... Uh, you said, how else would we know what God wants us to do other than that he would come and tell us? And uh, again, a great, a great comment. And it's, it's a really brings, brings out a really useful reflection because we see through uh, the history of Revelation how God does that. He, he does that by first making us in his image and likeness. And really, he plants the Ten Commandments in our hearts. He, he gives us access through natural reason. And, and to make the analogy, like how would your son know what to do unless you did it for him or helped him with it? Well, he wouldn't be raging, screaming, and he wouldn't be crying out if he didn't have some sense of what he was supposed to do, like eat and sleep. Now, he doesn't get it all right, <laughs> but there are yeah. things that are already in him. 
And then he needs those things to be sort of shaped and drawn out in certain ways. It's where the word education uh, is from the Latin educere, is to lead out of. So the, and Socrates really developed this idea that, you know, he probably overdid it. I mean, he basically says, like, we have everything already in us, and it's just a matter of dialogically, the Socratic method is is engaging in questions to help you reflect, to bring out the, the truth that's already inside of you. So, so we do have a certain access to the truth, and we call that natural law. That's the fancy term for it. It's the, the way that we have access to divine, uh, divine reason through our natural reason is what we call natural law. It's the law of God's truth that's already baked into us in our humanity. Now, because we are fallen uh, without sanctifying grace to stabilize us and uh, due to original sin, even that is darkened. So we don't even live out the, the Ten Commandments fully. And of course, the world is a mess in lots of ways. But we do have those things uh, in us, at least in fragmentary form, overshadowed a bit by the mess of the world, the spirit of the flesh and the spirit of the world and the spirit of the devil. But um, and and then God took that another level. And so he took Moses out and he began to reveal himself. But really what he revealed in the law, the Ten Commandments, was was already what he had written on our hearts, but had been darkened by sin. So God, uh, but in that case, you're very right. God came down in a certain way. Moses on the mountain uh, experienced God and was able to communicate that to Israel. And then God walked with them and he began to demonstrate his love for them in different ways, but always maintaining his transcendence and his, his uh, ultimate power so that they wouldn't lose sight of that. The absoluteness of God is, is so critical to really hold that in place. But then a deeper layer, what was revealed in Jesus was who God is in himself. There was a mystery hidden in the father from ages past. And that is the fact that he was a father, that there is a communion of love, father, son, and Holy Spirit. And that, in fact, God himself is love, that being and love coincide, and that that is the structure of reality is just mind-blowing. But we, uh, we receive that truth, and then we understand more fully we're not just meant to do good, to be just, to follow the Ten Commandments, but we're actually meant to go far beyond that, beyond justice to love, and not just love for a few, for our family, for our tribe, but love for everyone. And even love to the point of giving up our own life. We would not have figured that out on our own. That's not written into our humanity. That's revealed in a particular way by God in Jesus Christ who enters in and lives that fully himself. He loves everyone to the full, to the point of giving his life for everyone, taking the burden of everyone's suffering and sin onto himself. And thus shows us and also empowers us by baptism, we are baptized into him, and we have the grace to live out that love as fully as he did. Now, we're growing into that. But anyway, just to say about that that point of, of revelation, and then just a couple of things in the Holy Family that um, you, you betray being a man of the modern age, and uh, which I, I certainly can't hold against you, because you are uh, a man of the modern age. But we have this idea that teenagers are a mess. Um, we did that. So that's a product of the modern age in a significant way. 
really teenagers developmentally speaking are ready to practice being adults, practically to be being adults, practically to be adults. And in former times, that was more the case. It's sin and the infantilization that our culture, the spirit of the world, has really created around a lot of this space that has made teenagers so inept, as, as extremely inept as they are in the modern day. Again, I'm generalizing. There are wonderful teenagers and some who are very mature. But Mary being without sin would be in a different place than the average teenager. And so I don't want to take away, there's something that's very true in what you said too. I mean, she's still, uh, humanly speaking, young and inexperienced, and, and that wouldn't be substituted for by some miraculous grace. She's still working her way through life, but, but there would be a stability and a clarity. There's, a, there's a, an infusion of grace that supports and, and also gives insight. She has access to the, the Holy Spirit in a way that some of the some of the rough edges and some of the ignorance and and some of the uh, the playground politics of uh, teenage squabbles and whatever else she would be free from some of that. There would be a an, an inner peace and and a clarity that went with that. And Joseph, uh, age thirty, age twenty, age forty. Anyway, the the tradition is a little bit varied on all of that, but I kind of like the the age thirty ish uh, range myself. I have to say, others. Uh, there's one proposal I read that he was born in 33 BC and he died in 33 AD. And uh, there's kind of a nice symmetry about that 33 <laughs> years before and uh, after uh, the, the birth of Christ. But um, I guess he would have died in 30. Maybe it was born in 30 and died in 30. Anyway, some symmetry around that. But, um, but Joseph, uh, you know, Joseph was, was working his way through, but again, there's a, there is a, there is something that's sustained by grace in all of that. And so um, they're, they're working some of those things out and, and they've got, they've got some angelic support and some, uh, some support of the Holy spirit. And then uh, about childbirth, you know, uh, really a product of the modern age in that. So it's only in the 19th century, in the 20th century, that childbirth became a medical emergency. Uh, people were giving birth to children for, uh, millennia before that, and it was just fine. Now it wasn't perfect, so we've we've ratcheted up the amount of technology to to move from a, a small uh, percentage of of birth of of death in childbirth and things like that to a very low percent of death in childbirth. So I'm not um, doubting the technology at all, but. There's a whole movement of, of midwives and more natural childbirthing techniques, home births and things like that, that have come back and in many ways are, are less violent, both for the woman and for the child. Now, they only work in more, uh, they have to be careful. And so there's always a hospitalized backup system because we want like zero fatality rate in all of that. And so we, we have a lot of te- technological and expertise support but for the most part, like a lot, women are able to give birth to children. <laughs> so we're, we're made for that. We've, we've become separated from, from our own past in some ways. That's, that's just one comment. Now, the second comment is uh, the tradition is Mary is a virgin. Well, that's dogma that she was a virgin when she conceived. And it's a, it's a tradition. It's a strong doctrine that she was also 
uh, a virgin in her birth, that it was actually a miraculous birth, that the pangs of birth are a consequence of the fall. And because Mary was preserved from original sin, that she was also preserved from the pangs of birth through a miraculous birth that didn't violate her virginity. So you can work through that in your own mental categories there. But um, And then certainly that she was she remained a virgin after giving birth. That's also dogmatic. But but the, the, the remaining a virgin uh, miraculously through the birth process, so we're talking about physical virginity, uh, through the birth process was, uh, was a miraculous thing. So um, even more so, they didn't need all of the, the technology or the help or the, the midwife or mm-hmm. the ex- experience. Um, traditionally, you would have had you know, mothers and grandmothers present for, for mothers, you know, who are new mothers giving birth and things like that to support her. And, um, but some of that was a little bit easier, although the manger setting would not have been easy, even in that circumstance, mm-hmm. presumably even with a miraculous birth, there's still a fair amount of stuff going on there <laughs> and uh, yeah. things to be cared for. So just a, just a few uh, adjustments to the observations you're making, but let me just conclude by, by reinforcing the way that you're thinking through it and really making and making it real is really important. And I don't want to take away from that. We've often gone the opposite direction of just sort of miracleizing all of these things and then putting it in its own sort of plastic category up on the shelf that has nothing to do with our lives. And I don't want to do that in the least. All the things that you're going through, that your wife had to go through, um, just a few adjustments around some of the details, but primarily like how do you raise a baby and how do you take care of this innocent infant? How do you uh, arrange your life around this? How do you handle anyway? All of that stuff is is fully there and they had to learn that like we learn it. Perfect. And what a beautiful way to, uh, to conclude this episode. We thank everyone very much for listening and we'll be with you again next week.